Hey, I'd love to share with you some thoughts around the theme of hope. Just a bit of uh, kind of background context. Uh, we have a church, an Equipus church, in a town in Germany called Flensburg. It's right up the top there, right on the border with Denmark. And uh, it's an interesting town. The first time I drove in there with the pastor, here we're driving into the city, and he points to this house and says, uh, that's actually where the uh, Nazis finally surrendered. Like after Hitler was killed, they, they retreated here. This was kind of their last stand. That school was called Adolf Hitler High School. And it's like, wow, there, there's, some, there's some pretty serious, significant history here. And, and, um, and then also, it's, a, it's kind of in one of the old industrial towns. It's on the, uh, on the harbor. And so in the past, that's been prosperous around building ships. But you might know that kind of heavy industry is often not so prosperous now. So it's got, kind of got a past of industrial work. Uh, and it's right on the coast. So I've actually stayed in a hotel there. And you know, like some hotels have a little basket of umbrellas at the door. This hotel has a basket of gumboots for when the harbour floods. So you go kind of history, uh, industrial kind of struggle, flooding. Uh, if you know Germany, the, the centre and southern is kind of the engine room of Europe, but up in the north is a lot poorer. So it's a complex kind of environment, and we have a church there. And uh, these are the pastors, Simon and Lily Powell, and just incredible pers- people. Simon Powell is, a, is an amazing pastor. Uh, but um, there's a story that some of you may know the woman next to him, her name's Lovin, Jewer from England. She's one of the Equipus pastors there. She's a medical doctor, but she does a lot of ministry around mental health and freedom and neuroplasticity and all that kind of stuff. And she's doing, she was doing this seminar and Simon's standing next to her translating. And at a certain point, uh, she stopped and just looked at him and she felt like God had given her this little download. And she just looked at him and said, said this, Simon, you're an apostle of hope. And I love the thought that this man is called to a, a challenging uh, kind of environment and context, but, but he's called to be an apostle of hope. He's called to bring hope where maybe just on a natural level, there's not a lot of hope. And I want to suggest to, uh, to you today that in a sense, God wants us all to catch that spirit of hope, whatever environment you're in, that you're the person that brings hope. And, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about three great Christian virtues. Now, these three remain faith, hope, and love. And it's like, it's almost like hope is like the forgotten one. You know, we know, oh, yeah, we're people of faith. Oh, yeah, we're called to live a life of love. But we don't actually talk a lot about the third one. We're called to be a people of hope. Hope is one of the three great things to have in life. And so I want to suggest to you that God really wants us, like Simon Powell and Flensburg, to be people who carry hope. And it's not a superficial, naive hope that everything's great. In fact, Romans says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Genuine hope is just not this naive thing that everything's going to be great. Genuine hope comes from people who have been through some stuff. They've persevered from some stuff. And deep down inside, they can look you in the eye and go, there is hope. It's going to be okay. We're going to get there. And so I, I would love to kind of suggest to you that God wants us to carry that. Part of the reason is uh, Jesus talked about he wanted people who were different. And the two images, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And the salt, like if the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. And it's like, if we, if we live in a time of hopelessness and despair, when we lose hope, we lose our saltiness. And I, I want to suggest that God wants us to be able to salt our conversations with hope. 
to salt and flavor our families with hope, our marriages with hope, our schools with hope, our businesses with hope, our communities with hope, that we are the people who put hope back in the mix. Uh, But then also the image of light, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And I, I think that genuine hope leads to deeds that can't be explained unless people realize you actually believe we could make a difference. You actually believe people could change. You actually believe God is at work and we're like, Yes, we do. We're a, yes, we are a people of faith. Yes, we are a people of love, but we're also a people of hope. And, and there's, there's no day that needs a people of hope more than this day. And, and where you need to be the person of hope. So I, I want to suggest that almost like biblically, we should have a hashtag that just like hashtag better. I'm just convinced that life is going to get better. And again, that might sound offensive. It might sound superficial. But, but I want to show you that I believe in a deep way, biblically, we should be the people who go, I'm convinced that whatever lies before me right now, because God is at work, I have hope that it's going to get better. There's a famous proverb, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Another translation says this, but the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter. That once we understand God and his ways, we're convinced whatever is happening right now, as I keep taking steps forward, I'm walking into brighter and brighter light. Things are going to get better. I have a hope and an expectation that God is going to come through in the end. Um, here's a great example of this. Some of you may have heard of this guy, Eugene Peterson. He's most famous for writing the Bible translation, the message, but he was actually a biblical scholar. He wrote, he wrote many, many books. Uh, he died in October 2018, and I remember I'm teaching a theology course uh, around the end of that time, you, the point where you're starting to talk about the theology of the end of eschatology for the world, but also the end for people, death and the afterlife. And, and I saw this message that, uh, that, he was, that he was passing away, and then I saw a message that he'd passed away, and then a week later, his family posted this blog, and, and I just want to share what they said. It just says this. Uh, he was 85. He'd been a Christian all, all his life, ministry, probably 60 years. just says this. During the previous days, it was apparent that he was navigating the thin and sacred space between earth and heaven, they stated. We overheard him speaking to people we can only presume were welcoming him into paradise. You can be cynical about that. You know, he was delusional, whatever. That's what they believed as his family. They had a sense there was a sacred space. Uh, he was a Presbyterian, but he obviously grew up uh, in a Pentecostal family. He said this, there may have even been a time or two when he accessed his Pentecostal roots and spoke in tongues as well. And, and again, whatever you think about this, it's this next statement that, that you can't contradict. It just says this, among his final words were, let's go. And his joy, my oh my, the man remained joyful right up to his blessed end, smiling frequency. In such moments, it's best for all mortal flesh to keep silence. But if you have to say something, say this, holy, holy, holy. I love the fact that a man who had served God 85 years, as he's approaching his death, he's just like, let's go. I'm convinced there's better yet to come. I'm convinced God has got something good for me. That's real faith. That's real love of God, but it's real genuine hope. 
Uh, and so let me show you how this is so deeply embedded in Scripture, this idea that whatever's happening now, I'm deeply convinced that God is taking me forward into something better than now. So a couple of examples, Psalm 84. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, this, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. It's like, I, whatever's happening here, I'm not going to camp here. I'm not going to stay here. I've set my heart on moving forward. Something may be happening. Something may not be great. But I've set my heart that I believe God has got something in the future for me. And, and you know, and it's real realistic. Verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, Baca means the valley of tears, not if they pass, as they pass. True hope understands there will be difficult seasons, there will be challenges, there will be difficulties, there will be disappointments. But I'm convinced that if I set my heart not to give up, not to, not to lose hope there, just to keep going, that there's an answer on the other side. And, and so it just says, they make it a place of springs. They find life there. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God and Zion. It's like, man, I came to this obstacle and I had to dig down, and I, but I found strength in God and I moved on. And then this other thing happened and man, I had to dig down again, but I found strength in God and I moved on. And then this other thing happened. I had to dig down again, but I found strength in God because I've set my heart on pilgrimage because I'm a person of hope. And so wherever I go, I'm able to salt those conversations with hope. Another famous one, Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm convinced God is leading me somewhere. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. We're going somewhere. God is, I'm not stuck. I'm not hopeless. God is taking me somewhere. But then again, also, even though I walk through, not if I walk through, when I walk through, even though I walk through the darkest valley, yeah, I will fear no evil because you are with me, God. And you're going to comfort me and you're going to look after me. and You're going to get me through this season. Don't, don't let what is a season become your destination. Don't let what is a temporary detour become your destination. Don't camp there at the point of darkness, the point of brokenness. It's like a, a people of hope says, no, God, this is a difficult season, but I believe you're going to carry me through this out to the other side. And so again, the psalm finishes with a sense, yeah, of bounty, of blessing. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Again, it's not naive. There will be enemies, but I'm convinced, God, you're going to meet me there. You're going to provide for me in the midst. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And many of you would have heard this before. Surely or truly or absolutely, this is this total confidence of hope. Your goodness and love will follow me. Uh, in Hebrew, it's chase after me, pursue me. And the idea, it's often used of, of enemies pursuing someone. And it's this idea, yeah, if I'm not living in your goodness and your love right now, God, they're coming after me. I'm convinced that at some point in the future, God's goodness and love is going to intersect with my path. And because of that, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. True biblical hope is a deep sense of confidence in God, that whatever's happening right now, He's going to be with me in the thing. He's going to journey with me through the thing. And out the other side, He has something beautiful for me. And so I'm convinced that actually this is not shallow, superficial Christianity, that we go deeply ingrained, no, hashtag better. The best is yet to come. God has good things. And, and that we could inject that kind of hope 
uh, into other people's worlds. I want to talk about, though, two things that challenge hope, that there's a battle for your hope. And maybe right now there's a battle for hope. When you look at your life, when you look at maybe your family, your marriage, career, when you look at the world, it's easy to lose hope. And I want to say that the Bible recognizes it, but he wants to say, come on, fight for your hope. Don't lose hope. In fact, I heard a speaker recently say about that faith, hope, and love. You know, uh, the Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of God. The Bible says that faith is a gift. The thing that the devil attacks is our hope. And I want to say to you today, come on, hold on to your hope. Fight for your hope. Find hope in God. So I think there's two things that, that battle for our hope. The first is disappointment. It's, a, it's an interesting word, disappointment. I thought I had an appointment with something and it didn't happen. I was convinced this is what was going to come my way. I was convinced that this was the dream and probably I was convinced it was from God and it didn't happen. And I got news for you. If you haven't been disappointed, it's coming. You're going to have to learn how to deal with disappointment. And just one of the keys in Psalm 33 just says this. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. And this, on those whose hope is what? Is in his unfailing love. No, my hope, my hope is not in what I was convinced was from God. My hope is not in my dreams. My hope is not in my desires. My hope is in the character of God. It's like, God, I don't understand why that didn't happen. But my hope is in your character. My hope is in that you are a good God, and I, and I might not understand what I'm going through right now, but my hope is in you. That phrase, unfailing love, is interesting. It's one Greek, uh, Hebrew word, hesed. And, and the older translations translate it loving kindness. The newer translations translate it steadfast love. And you think, those are quite different concepts. How do, how do you get those two things from one word? And, and you'll see the complexity there. It's obviously a complex concept. But, but it's like it's got this tender dimension and then it's got this really strong dimension. And you go, where do you see that? And I'd say, I see it every time I take a wedding and a, and a groom stands in front of his bride and says, I promise to cherish you. It's this kind of love that out of tenderness commits to you, vows to stick with you, that has a strength of loyalty to you because of tender love. And, and, and the psalmist and the whole Bible says, what's our ultimate hope in? that God is more committed to me than I am, that God is more committed to my future than I am, that God is more invested in my life and my marriage and my calling in my kids than I am. And, and my ultimate hope is this, that God has vowed to stick with me. That's a bit of a shocking sentence, but that's what's behind this concept. It's a covenant commitment. And it's like, man, I, I, I could be disappointed in my circumstances. I can be disappointed that things didn't go according to my schedule. I could be disappointed that certain dreams didn't happen. But my hope isn't in those ultimately. My hope is in the, is in the steadfast love of God, the character of God the commitment of God. There's a passage in the middle of the Old Testament. It's actually the low point of the Old Testament, which reiterates this when Israel had lost everything and they wondered if it's all over and they just said this, lamentations, because of the Lord's great love, because of his hesed, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my patient, my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. 
God, I don't understand what's going on right now, but I know that you're committed to me. So I know like the dew is fresh every morning that your mercy is going to come to me and I wait to see how you're going to come through because I know that you're committed to me. I just believe God wants to restore hope, but more than that, he wants us to be carriers of hope into all the conversations of our family, the conversations of our workplace, uh, the conversations of our community, that we're the people who salt those things with hope. And, and you see it like in the book of Job. The book of Job is famous for like 40 chapters of this guy whose life just had carnage. And we forget that at the end, again, that wasn't his destination. Yes, he had to process the disappointment. Yes, he had to deal with what was going on in the middle of it. But the book actually finishes just after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes, gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble that had come to him. And it just talked about the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. And it has all these numbers of sheep and camels and stuff. If you go back to the start of the book of Job, you'll see that this is precisely double what he had. So he was a blessed man, uh, and, and, and then talked about how he lived to 140. He was a blessed man. He went through a time of incredible disappointment. But the story finishes with the God of blessing, the God of restoration. Yeah, he walked through a dark valley. Yeah, he passed through a valley of tears. And I want to I wanna, I pray that God would somehow, if you're in that place today, God would plant hope back in your heart. It's going to get better. It's going to be okay. Not as a silly superficial hype, but because I know the character of God, that he's committed to you. And so the first battle for hope is just around disappointment when I don't understand what's happened, God. But the second battle for hope is actually about failure. It's like, I know what happened, God. I messed up. There's no mystery to this. I blew it. And is it all over? And, and again, the Bible has an answer for that because this, exactly this passage in Lamentations actually wasn't a surprise. That was the whole point. We know why we're in this position, God. We made dumb choices. Things went wrong because we did the wrong things. But in the, that's the incredible gospel of this. Even though we messed up, your love hasn't given up on us. You're not going to let us go. And, and so you, wherever position our choices have brought us to, your mercy is new today. You come and you say, Steve, you ready to move on from this place? Because I'm here for you. I want to put hope back in your life. I want to open up new opportunities. I want to create new possibilities. I want you to move forward from this place. And again, wherever you found that you've arrived to this morning, and whether that's a mystery or whether you know why you're there and you know you messed up, I got great news for you. God is a God of hope who wants to take you by the hand and lead you into the future. Again, how do I know that? One of the most famous passages to do with Peter. Peter had messed up like nobody else had. Peter denied Jesus and, 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 and he totally failed him. And so Peter thought it was all over. But when, when, John, uh, when Jesus is resurrected, John recounts this thing. Jesus just comes, Simon, do you love me? You know that I love you. A fresh commission, a fresh sense of purpose, a fresh sense of future. Peter, feed my lambs. Again, do you love me? You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Peter's hurt. Uh, Jesus is actually going through this kind of inner healing thing. Three times I denied you around a coal fire. Now three times you're going to confess your love for me around a coal fire. 
Do you love me? Lord, you know you love me. Feed my sheep. We serve a God who comes to us at our point of failure and says, if you're ready to begin again, I'm ready to plant fresh hope in your life. I'm ready to lead you out of this place and into a future. So there's a battle for our hope around disappointment. There's a battle for our hope around failure. Um, sometimes I tell the story of um, when my daughter was little, we used to go and visit my mum's house and my mum had 14 steps up to her front door. So when my daughter was about two, we'd get at the bottom of the stairs and I'd say, hold daddy's hand uh, to keep her safe walking up. And, and I always would say the point, like, actually, it wasn't about her holding my hand. I would grab her by the wrist and I'd say the point, because if she fell, I wanted her safety not to depend on her hold on me, but my hold on her. And everyone's like, oh, that's a beautiful story. And it's not, and it, but it's true. I, our, our future, our hope is not how much you can hold on to God, how much you can drag yourself forward. It's like God's got a hold of my life and he's taking me forward. And I was telling the story at a camp recently and, and then I was talking about something else around resurrection and talked about there's this famous icon of Jesus' resurrection and how he just doesn't come out of the grave himself. And I love the sense that he's bracing himself and those rep figures are Adam and Eve that he's pulling them out uh, with him into the future, into hope, out of like... Oh my goodness, as a message of hope, out of not just when things have stuttered or stilled or, or confused, but when things have actually died, Jesus comes out of death and pulls us back into life. And, and my wife was sitting next to the pastor on the front row and I heard them muttering and pointing. I was like, what are you pointing at? And they say, look at the picture that he's holding them by the wrists. I was like, oh, that's quite a biblical story I tell them. Well, it's a famous icon story. We believe in a God who takes hold of us and says, your future does not depend, depend on your will and your resilience. Your future depends on the fact that I am taking you into your future. Your hope is in that I'm more committed to you than you are to me. Your hope is in the fact that I love you. Your hope is in the fact that I loved you so much I gave my life for you. There's going to be hope. And so again, I want to say, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be a people of faith. We're called to be a people of love. But in days like these days, we need to be a people of hope who salt our communities with the flavor of hope that causes people to dare to believe it's going to be okay. God's got this. New things will happen. The sun will rise tomorrow and new opportunities will come. And that's not naive. That's not superficial. Why do I believe that? Because I know my God and I have hope in him. Romans 15 just says this. May the God of hope, again, interesting, described as one of his characteristics, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we want the joy and the peace. The joy and the peace comes from connecting with the God of hope. And I wonder today if you just need a sense like, God, I need to connect with you. I need to connect with the sense that you're moving things forward, that you're for me, that you're committed to me, that you've stepped into my situation and you've taken me by the wrist and you're, and you're 
pulling me into goodness. You're pulling me into my future. You're pulling me into purpose. You're pulling me into flourishing. You're pulling me into blessing. I may not be there yet, but I'm a person of hope, and I believe that it's coming. Hey, I'd love just to, just to kind of read through Psalm 23 a bit, kind of bit slowly, and I'd love you to kind of ponder, what does this mean that hope would come alive for you? If you're hope, feeling hopeless right now, if you're feeling despair, if you're feeling like hope is slipping away from you, let the God of hope awaken hope again in your life. I know you might want to close your eyes. You might want to just relax a bit and just let these words of Scripture just wash over you. And I pray that God of hope would awaken hope afresh. Let's listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd so I lack nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul he refreshes my soul he refreshes my soul he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake Even though I might be walking through the darkest, darkest valley right now, I will not fear evil. I will not fear that I'm going to be overwhelmed. I'm not going to fear that I'm going to be consumed. I'm not going to fear that I'm going to drown in this situation. Why? God, because you are with me and your rod and your staff they're comforting me. And so because of that, I know, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I know that you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, truly, definitely, no doubt, your goodness and your love will be following after me, will be chasing after me, will be pursuing me, will be hunting me down, are going to arrive in my destiny at some point. And they're going to do that all of the days of my life. Every day of my life, goodness is coming after me. And the final result is this. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever like Eugene Peterson, there's always better to come. Let's go, God, because there's going to be good things. Hey, I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know what life's landed on your plate. I don't know how you're feeling about stuff going on in our city and nation and world right now. But can I encourage you, if, you, if you're needing hope, God wants to awaken hope. And if you feel like you've got hope, can I encourage you? God wants you to be the salt of the earth who salts your world with hope because there's a whole lot of other people that need hope. So I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you might want to close your eyes or raise a hand or something just to signal I'm just opening my heart up to you, God. And uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're for us. I thank you that your smile is towards us. I thank you that you have planned good things for our lives. I thank that you have compassion for us in the place where we're feeling hurt or stuck and broken. 
And we invite you to come and stand with us in that place. Comfort us, strengthen us. But God, take us by the wrist and lead us forward into hope. And God, if there's some of us here today who've never known that hope, we want to invite Jesus to come into our lives. Wash away the despair, wash away the guilt, wash away the sense of shame. Give us a fresh start. Be our hope, be our saviour, be our Lord. Let something new start today. And God, for those of us who have discovered that, as we think of our friends, as we think of our family, as we think of our schools and our workplaces, as we think of our people we're just in connection with, God, who maybe desperately need hope, may we be the one who just says that one thing that encourages them to believe there's hope, there's always hope. Come on, keep going. God's got you. Hey, I hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. I hope you're, a, you're a, a reminded that this is actually a big deal. It's what God wants you to carry, and he wants you to carry it into your world. I pray that you're encouraged. I pray that you're inspired today. We're a people of hope. May hope be born again today in your heart. God bless.